We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Odo, and you're listening to episode 85, Spoiled Rotten. My name is David Sville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me this week. But before we get started today, I am excited to announce that Wizards of the Coast has given us an exclusive preview card for Guilds of Ravnica. We'd like to say thank you to the Wizards of the Coast for the opportunity to share this with our fans. And we'll preview that card in just a second. But first, Travis, how are you this week? Spoiled Rotten, David. How are you? I'm excited. Isn't it great to get a preview card? Yeah, it's really cool to get a preview card. I, I never get excited about previews unless we have one. And then I'm like, that's cool. Let's dig into this card and look at everything and see how it interacts. Yeah, I'm I'm super, super excited. And thanks again to to Blake and everybody over at Wizards of the Coast. It um it uh it makes me kind of feel a little tingly inside to be part of the spoiler community or the preview community. Um it always felt so exclusive before. And uh, now that we've had our kind of a couple of cards here, it feels like we're part of, the, of a big giant family. And it's cool to see um, all the people out there that are getting preview cards that it's their first preview card. Um, there's a lot of people on Twitter that I've been seeing that, that get these cool cards. And it's just nice that at basically no cost to Wizards, they can they can dish these out to all of these content creators, you know, big and small, and uh, kind of bring everybody together all, all for the same reason. It's, it's really cool to see. So thanks again for, for including us, everyone over at Wizards. Do you want to just dive right into it? Yeah, let's talk about this card. All right, let's talk about this card. So for people that are coming over from Twitter or Reddit and just want to get down to the, to the gruesome details here. So our card is three black black for a sorcery. The card is called Gruesome Menagerie. It's a rare Choose a creature card with converted mana cost 1 in your graveyard, and then do the same for cards with converted mana cost 2 and 3. Return those cards to the battlefield. So what are your first impressions just with that block of text alone? (sighs) Well, I immediately start thinking about speed of the format and the viability of one drops. So I think if, oddly enough, I think if you put this in Dominaria, the effect would be fantastic but I don't really know that there's enough one drops that I'd want to do it. Whereas if it was an Ixalan, which I've been playing some this week on arena, that effect would actually be really good because I've ended up with decks that had three one drops in Ixalan and was pretty happy about it. Uh, So like there's a lot of value here. It's a three for one. You are spending five mana to get six mana's worth of stuff, but you're getting cards out of it. So those are my first initial impressions is how fast is the format? How good are one drops? I'm going to be playing twos and threes. Am I happy if I cast this and get back, you know, the best two in my graveyard and the best three in my graveyard? I think it depends. And there's a lot of things it depends on. So obviously it depends on the quality of the twos and threes. Let's just ignore one drops for now, I think, because I think the one drop is like a bonus on this. I think where you're going to get a lot of your values are out of the twos and the threes. Okay. Um, and and it, cause, just because like even in a, in a format with really good one drops, how many one drops are you playing? Not usually three, that many, three right? max. Yeah, I mean maybe two. Maybe yeah. you're playing one drops that like are good as two drops as well. Like if you're not playing them on turn one, they're fine on turn two. Like if there's like a 
uh, a one mana black death toucher or something like that. Like you jam that in your deck all day. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what you're looking for to get value out of this in limited, and this is purely from a limited perspective, constructed as a whole other beast, is I'm looking for twos and threes that have um, late game utility. And I think this card really starts to shine if that's the case. So I'm looking for enter the battlefield effects, um, death touch, and repeatable effects. So things like guild mages. I think if I have a lot of those in the two drop and the three drop spot, I think this card goes way up in value. Um, because speed of the format is, is yes, a question here. But if I play a guild mage on turn two, and then I have gruesome menagerie in my hand, let's say, I'm more willing to trade that off with my opponent's two drop without getting value from my guild mage because I know that I can get it back in the late game and then spend my mana, pump my mana into that guild mage later on. So I think that's what I'm looking for out of a card like this. The question is, is does that exist in this format? I, I also might think that might not be good enough if I draw the stuff in the wrong order, but mm-hmm. there are ways to get things in your graveyard without having to trade them off. Yeah, so Surveil, which seems to be prevalent in in the spoiler season so far now i know you don't look through this you might cards. even say it's surveillant i mean if one would go there potentially you could say that but there's been a lot of um surveil and surveil related shenanigans kind of spoiled already um and I'm, I'm, there's a couple of those cards that i want to talk about about particular cards that i think would be good to get back with this and if you're going to be filling your graveyard with twos and threes in the mid to late game because they're not useful anymore you can still get value out of them or if you're putting them in your graveyard early because you just need to hit your land drops you can also get value out of them here so i I think it'll be interesting to see I, i don't think this goes in every deck and i don't think it goes in a lot of decks but i think it probably goes in a deck that is specifically tailored to abuse this card not necessarily abuse this card but get maximum value out of it i think if you're not getting maximum value and that means a good three, a good two, and possibly a one, I think is is the best value you can get out of this card consistently. Um, I, I don't think it's it's going to be good enough to make most limited decks. Yeah, it reminds me of kind of a weird soul salvage where I've got to pay a little bit of extra to get them to go straight into play, but I can't get anything I want. It's got to particularly be these. Although, mm-hmm. to be fair, this works with the jumpstart mechanic too, right? Like I discard a creature to jumpstart one of those cards... And then I can get the, the that back with this. So like I could even see a Demir deck being interested in this effect. I, I don't think this is a card that I'm going to open and slam. I think this is a card that if I'm already doing these shenanigans and I see it third pick, I'm probably going to be interested in that. Yeah, I, th- I think I agree with you there. So when you're drafting this card, you're not first picking it. You're not second picking it. You're picking it, you know, mid to late in in the draft i would say maybe you pick it up in pack two maybe you pick it up like pick seven in a pack or something like that because nobody else wants it and you tuck it in your pile as in your sideboard as like a speculative pick um or maybe you if you have a bunch of really good twos and threes and you open this in pack three you know maybe maybe it makes your main deck that way because you can get maximum value out of it so um if it was one mana cheaper i think it would be super interesting because now you can potentially cast it on curve. You can go two drop trade, three drop trade, four drop, get both things back. And now you're up a card on your opponent's board. Yeah. Um, but the, the five mana double black means that you're casting this later in the game. So it's not a tempo play. 
and unless your opponent's board is completely empty, you're just probably adding to a board stall. So that's why I'm looking for evasive threats or um, some kind of value threat, or sorry, value body, or some kind of death toucher. Like if there's a two-mana death toucher, like a typhoid rats... I, I was just going to say, do you remember the two-mana rat from Hour that exiled something from the opponent's graveyard? I could easily see that being reprinted for this. There's a history of rats in Ravnica. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's where the rat catcher came from, and it's where Pack Rat came from. So, like, there's usually rat cards. They could easily reprint that dude at two. And, like, in in uh, Hour of Devastation, I would play a black deck with three of those happily. So, like, exactly. we get something like that, all of a sudden, I'm, this is a lot more interesting to me. And it's not hard to find good threes. Like, usually your deck's going to have, you know, something like three filler, three drops, and then two actually good ones. Yeah. I'll also mention, too, like, we haven't had a multicolor set in a while, at least not a true multicolor set. All of the cards that are true multicolored cards, and by that I mean it's a Golgari card. It has actual green and actual black in its casting cost. They look more powerful than what you would expect at their rarity and the reason is because they're so much harder to cast so typically if you're going to have a bunch of three drops that are double colored like you've gotten the golgari or demir or whatever three drops that go with your color pair they're going to be stronger than what you're used to at at three drops so that may make them more relevant that's true and if you can't cast them you can surveil them into your yard and get them back later um Mm -hmm. Which is another upside of Surveil, right? If you're missing your mana colors or you're splashing or something like that, you can just bin that card and not worry about it. So that is interesting. That is interesting. Now, of note, when you're looking at the cards that this plays well with, I think you have to ignore the the white and the black, or sorry, the white and the red cards because those aren't necessarily supported um, cards that you'll be drafting. Like You might end up drafting a color combination that touches that i guess in a way like is is it possible i guess you could draft like selesnia and golgari um but i think you're way more likely to be drafting um you know like a sultai deck or something like that than I mean, you are that there's not enough of this out yet for me to know for sure but i can say that in return to ravnica it was often three color decks you were usually hugging two guilds with a core color playing straight three colors and very rarely playing straight two colors. Gatecrash changed that because it was so fast. You kind of didn't have time to do all the splashing and the fun stuff. And then when we got back into Dragon's Maze, it was pure chaos. So part of that will be determined by what fixing there is. But the fixing was virtually the same for Return to Ravnica and Gatecrash. The big difference was the speed of the format. Boros is in the set, so I know there's going to be at least one aggro deck. Uh, but we were able to play three colors or two and a half colors, I would call it, if you were willing to prioritize gates in, in the original Return to Ravnica. I guess it's not the original Return to Ravnica, it's the Return to Ravnica, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, but so they, they've they've said that the fixing will be in the form of the gates and the, the shock lands for sure. We haven't seen any of the other fixing options. I think there was a, a multicolor a gate that was like five colors, but you paid a tax when it entered the battlefield. Um, so the, the only thing is, is that we're only going to see the colors that are in the guilds in guilds of Ravnica. So you're only going to see the five guild gates for Demir and Selesny and all those right now. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying is like, if you're, if you're looking at a black card, you're not looking to play Abzan with it because you're not going to be able to get that green and white fixing. 
is the point, right? So just like when we talked about the cons flashback is you're gonna have to be very, I think, aware of what colors you're drafting if you're gonna be playing three colors because one is going to be splashable and one is not gonna be splashable. Easily. Yeah, but Abzan actually would be in this because you'd be hugging Golgari and Selesnia. Uh Oh yeah, you're right because then there'd be the green white ones. Yeah, okay, so that wouldn't be so bad then. When the, those, what was I thinking of? Oh, Mardu, I guess you wouldn't know because you'd have red white. Yeah, so you does it just that, that's what I'm saying. You're gonna be able to get some fixing. What you can't get is black white, so you're missing out right. on some of the duels that you would need for it. So if I'm looking to play Abzan, for example, I could get the guild gates for Golgari and Selesnia and have pretty good mana. But if I'm playing Mardu, for example, then that one's going to be more difficult because I'm relying basically on the Boros Guild Gate for most of my fixing, which I can still do. Pick up three of these, jam three swamps in it, all of a sudden I'm splashing a black card. That's not that big a deal. It's it's doable. It's just not as easy. Right. Okay. So then, so I'm thinking base black. So if you're base black, you're probably not Abzan. But if you're base green, you're probably Abzan because then your 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 gates touch both white and black in that case, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. But if but if you're base black, this being double black, you know... But it's, it's so late I could justify for... it anyway, and green's going to have good fixing anyway. So, like, we, we, yeah, you we might have to okay. wait. There's a lot of stuff to know first before you can evaluate a card, which That's is true. why I don't normally jump on them this quick. But, I mean, it's a preview card, man. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. So do you want to know what type of things you can get back with this card? Yes, enlighten me, David. Okay, so in blue... Well, sorry, in black, there's not much spoiled yet. Like, the only thing that I really saw was um, there was a one blue-black, blue-black hybrid 3-2 flash with surveil one. Um, so three mana for a 3-2 flash surveil one. Not that great, um, but the fact that you get a surveil one out of it and the fact that you're probably trading it off for a creature and then potentially getting it back later and getting a little bit of value is probably not so bad. Um, okay. So not much else in black that's been spoiled yet. In blue, there's a one drop in the Thought Bond Phantasm, which is, I'm just going to bring it up here. It is a defender. It is for a single blue. It is a 2-2. And whenever you surveil, you get a plus one, plus one counter on it. And then when it has three or more plus one, plus, one's count, plus one, plus one counters on it, it can attack as though it didn't have defender. Okay, that's interesting. So that's interesting because you play it early, hopefully. You trade it off with something, maybe, and if it dies and you get it back at some point in the middle of the game, you may have enough surveil, if you're playing a heavy demir deck, let's say, to get enough plus one plus one counters on it to start plunking through. Um, and at that point, it's a 5-5, five, five, which is kind of pretty good. So you need to have a lot of surveil, I think, to make that work, but that is a potential target to just get something back. And maybe it sits around as a 3-3 three, three defender, like who knows, right? You can, might be able to get a 2-for-1 at some point over the long haul in the game out of that card sure for two mana there is night veil sprite this is an uncommon it's a one two flyer whenever it attacks surveil one okay so that's interesting because it's repeatable value and if your opponent doesn't have anything in the air at that point in the game you can continue to scry in the late game or surveil sorry in the late game and potentially get some value there yeah that's functional like how close is that to draw a card i think surveil one it depends on what point in the game you are. Is it half a card? Is it a third of a card? It's probably half a card. I think if I think... you surveil twice, it's probably one card. And then late game, it goes up in value because you start bidding lands. I think it's two-fifths of a card. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, early on, it's very good, though, I think. 
And then for three mana, we have the Demir Informant, which is a, uh, a two and a blue for one four when it enters the battlefield, Surveil 2. So it's your Sailor of Memes in this format. Yeah, basically. Basically. So, I mean, those are commons and uncommons, so there's not a ton of value there, but those are just, you know, you're probably going to have a couple of these cards in your deck, which means that you're probably going to have a couple of targets for your Gruesome Menagerie that are decent, right? Um, yeah, I'm already happy with those, yeah. There, there haven't been a lot of other things spoiled yet, and I'm mostly looking at the commons and uncommons because that's what's going to fill your deck. So if I got back a Demir Informant and um, the Sprite, it's not the best, but if I'm doing that on turn five, it's probably going to set me up because I get to scry or surveil two and then probably surveil another one at some point there. So I can probably get some value out of that. Um, you know, in the in the Ixalan drafts lately, I've been making sure that my red decks have a Rummaging Goblin. And people were mocking me at the beginning of the stream today because Rummaging Goblin is horrible and you shouldn't play it. And then after four seven win runs... Mainly on the back of Rummaging Goblin, people were like, I'm going to start drafting Rummaging Goblin. Because, like, once once that deck, the decks that I was drafting hit six mana, it's like, I, I just don't need any more, so let's turn every land into a spell. That that surveying attacking dude kind of does that, right? Like, I think there's some huge value in Surveil early game to make sure you hit your mana, and late game to make sure you don't hit too much. It, it may actually be pretty close to scrying in the, the, the types of decisions and choices that we're making. Like, say you attack, and you've got two lands, and there's the best card in your deck. It's a five drop on top. Do do you keep it because you can surveil into more land later and get to cast it? Or do you just bend it because you've got to hit your three on curve? You know, how does that change if their first land was a Golgari Guild Gate versus a Boros Guild Gate? Like, there's the potential for interesting decisions, which is what has me excited about limited gameplay. Oh, for sure. I think Surveil is going to be amazing, especially with Jumpstart and Undergrowth and, you know, other cards that care about things in the graveyard or ways to get things back from the graveyard. I think it's going to be very cool. Yeah. Um, there's also a lot of kind of Surveil Matters cards, which I'm going to talk about in a minute here. There's there's a really neat one here that I want to, that I want to talk about. Um, in green, we have District Guide, which is our Skittering Surveyor of the format. Ooh, cool. Two and a green for a 2-2. Two -two. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land card or a gate. Reveal it, put it in your hand, and then shuffle your library. What rarity is that? Uncommon. Okay, okay. I was going to say, man, if that was common, oh, Lord, it could we have some fun. At uncommon, we still going to have some fun. We're just not going to have it as often. Yeah, that's going to be a super high pickup, but like that's great value to get back. Um, if you have nothing better in your graveyard, I think that's a really good floor for a green deck because getting an extra land out of your deck drawing a card basically um maybe it gets you your six mana that you need maybe it gets you a fixing that you need or something like that um or maybe this was put in your graveyard some other way and you can get that land later on so i think it's really cool um obviously getting it on turn five or six or seven is less valuable than getting it on turn three but i think that extra value like there's there's a seven drop in this format. There's a six drop in this format, right? Like there's all sorts of things you can do. And in green, especially there's convoke. So getting these extra creatures on the battlefield may pay off dividends later too. Yeah, just having those bodies and like that'll matter too. If you're even in a Golgari deck, you're going to have some convoke spells. Like that's one thing I want people to be prepared for as they play this. Each guild has its mechanic, but if you're drafting even a straight um, black green deck, it's not going to be all only things that have the Golgari mechanic. You'll have a few mentor cards. You'll have a few Convoke cards. And you'll you'll see that 
that gap kind of bridged between the guilds. You're never really going to have a complete Golgari deck where all of the cards have that watermark. That's that's just not something that happens in, in draft. Yeah. Now in in red, here's your one drops and your two drops. The problem is, is they're aggressive and they're probably more Boros, which doesn't really lean into the black side because now you have no fixing for your black. So it's probably not something you're playing there. But if you happen to be playing, let's say, Grixis... Um, and you just happen to have these goblins kicking around for some reason. At one drop, you have the Goblin Banneret, which is a 1-1 with Mentor. And you can uh, basically give it... Fi- it has Fire Breathing. It's 1 and a red for plus 2, plus 0 until end of turn. Okay, so you can pump it and make sure you get the counter on something else. That's kind of cool. That's more of a Boros card. Um, but, I mean, you might have it in your random Grixis deck, let's say. And then uh, Goblin Crater Maker at 1 and a red. Uh, this is a 2-2 at Uncommon. And it's it's modal. <laughs> You can pay one and sacrifice it, and you can either deal two damage to target creature or destroy target colorless non-land permanent. So artif- sort of artifact? Artifact or deal two damage to a creature. Okay, that's pretty cool. It's pretty sweet, right? Um, and it's it good value. It's your main deck artifact hate too, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you're going to be playing two twos for two anyway, probably. So, And it's got shock as an upside, so it's kind of sweet. So... There's a, there's a few targets here. I think we need to see the full spoiler, obviously, to get a, a good grip on on exactly what it is. And obviously, we need to see the rares as well. I think where it's for sure going to shine is, like I said, is we've seen guild mages. Um, yeah. I'm not going to go through the guild mages here, but there's there's going to be a guild mage in every color combo. And they all have repeatable value. So they're all going to be two mana two twos, I assume. And they're all going to have some kind of effect, one on each side of their guild. And the downside with these ones is they all tap to do their ability, but they're still going to be valuable in a lot of decks that are that can play them. The reason these are the best targets, I think, at least at common and uncommon for this spell, is um, because before when we were playing guild guild mages, you you played on turn two, and then you'd have this question: It's like, do I want to trade this off for my opponent's low value two two, or do I want to hang on to this two two and? you know, get to the point where I can use their repeatable abilities and gain some extra value there. So there's kind of this decision and usually it felt bad to trade them off for a lot, for a lot of players, like more experienced player players, maybe not, but for a lot of players, um, it would feel bad to trade off your cool guild mage for just a dorky tutu on your opponent's side. Well, if you happen to have gruesome menagerie in your hand or in your deck or whatever, you can feel a little bit better about trading your guild mages off because now you can get them back in the late game and then have the opportunity to cash them in for some extra value. It'll reward you for making the right play. Because if you're in a position where you think you needed to, like, that's the two drop you needed to play, it meant you probably didn't have another one. And you're probably getting beaten down. So the right play is just to trade off your guild mage and suck it up. And this will kind of reward you for that. Absolutely. And you get that extra value. The one card that I'm, well, one of the cards that I'm interested in buying back with this is the Demir Spybug. Which is blue and a black for a 1-1 flyer with Menace. And whenever you surveil, put a plus one, plus one counter on Demir Spybug. This reminds me of some cards we've seen before, right? Like we had Erdwall Illuminator. We had, um, God, what was the one three in Ixalan that got a counter when you explored Green Watcher or something? Like we've seen these cards before and some of them were great and some of them were a little duddy. So I'm just curious, like how, how much surveilling can I do to make this work? Because it's obviously absurd on turn one. You know, how how good is it on turn eight? 
Exactly. So I think this will be a good card if you have the Surveil Matters deck. Yeah. And and the fact that you can, you know, get it to two or three power right away, trade it off with something, and then get it back in the mid to late game. And it's got Menace, which is going to be hard to block for most opponents in the air. Yeah. It's pretty rare that your opponent has two flyers on the other side of the battlefield. So I think, I think this will be a nice little mostly unblockable little annoying bug that just ends up taking over mid to late game. I could be totally wrong too. Um, but I think it looks very interesting. The downside is it's hard to cast, um, you know, being blue and black, at least on mm. turn two. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see, but that's a card that I'm interested in buying back. And then of course, any rare or anything that's super powerful that you see in the two and three drop spot. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I want to see the full list. Um, I'm, I'm excited for us to do our set review. I'm excited to do the one on stream and just really get settled in for Ravnica and start playing this again. I'm ready for a new set. Uh, and I, yeah, I'm ready for a new set too. And Ravnica's always good, right? Like, I'm always excited to play a Ravnica set. All three of the Return to Ravnica block experiences were great. Um, I, and I've only heard good things about original Ravnica. I wasn't playing then, but a lot of people remember it fondly. And like everybody asks everybody, what's your favorite guild? Like people identify with these guilds and these color pairs. That is the sweet thing. It, it's going to be neat at the pre-release too. So I'm going, uh, play two at a giant, obviously, but you get guild packs. I don't know if you remember, but at the mm. last guilds of, or the last Ravnica, um, set, you got to pick your guild going into the pre-release. And, uh, so it'll be cool to do that again and you know, get your signature cards and get your little pack of nine or 10 signature cards for your guild. And, and it'll be really sweet to, to put together whatever kind of deck you want to play going in, knowing that you can probably build that deck. What, what guild are you choosing? I think for two hit a giant, I'm going to play Demir and then whatever Kayla wants to play, I'm going to let her pick. So if she wants to play Golgari, that's great. If she wants to play, is it, that's great. Boros, uh, see you later, kid. You're walking home. And Selesnya, that's great. <laughs> See, people identify with these guilds and are passionate about them. I love Boros, but I can tell you have you have a little bit of a judgy tone there. No, 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 no. Um, uh, I actually, it's funny because I played Boros at the Pick Your Own Guild uh, Gate Crash event, like so the pre-release mm-hmm. event. I picked Boros twice, and it was a lot of fun. Um, I just don't think it'll play very well into it a giant. So that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> no, I think it'd be, I think it'd be really good. Um, but I'm going to let her pick whatever she wants and I'm going to play Demir. So. All right. All right. And your guild personality we've already established with Selesnia. Correct. Okay. I like making tokens. Yeah. I bet you do. So interesting. I wanted to come back to, you mentioned fixing earlier and what's the fixing going to look like so we know that there's guild and there's shock lands here did you know that the guild gate takes up the basic land slot i did not know that so we're gonna so have we're... a gate in every pack you're gonna have a gate in every pack so is taking all the gates gonna be a strategy because it was before i think it was so good in cons because of the morph yeah. i don't know i don't know i really don't like, the, the trick to Dragon's Maze was take a bomb or take a gate. And that, that's just what you did. Like, if you really wanted to have the best draft deck, I I think you're on to something and that the morphs were what made that so good because you could cast them anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know if we're going to go five color here. I could see a five color green, which is kind of a green base splashing a bunch of things, or a Golgari base splashing a bunch of things, for example. Um, because if I had two... Let's say I'm Golgari, 
and I, I jam two of those gate finders in there and one Boros Guild Gate, I can now play a white card and a red card. Yeah, so so the the green, I mean, unfortunately, that's an uncommon, right? Yeah. So, but I do like your idea of the the green, and we might see more fixing. But I mean, as always, the green base for splashing is is usually the best. I think, I think what we're probably going to end up seeing is like a solid three colors with a splash of a fourth and a fifth. I don't think you're like solid five colors, and that's just because of like the the hybrid cards being powerful the split like the split cards hybrid cards being powerful um and just having a lot of really good on guild cards like i don't know like i haven't seen many monocolored cards that are super powerful yet so again like this this depends but one of the things that we have seen in, in the guild colors are um creatures or spells that are double double casting costs yeah. So, for example, two colorless, two black, and two green. Um, and if you want to take advantage of those, I think that the five-color deck can't necessarily guarantee themselves that they can cast those ones. Whereas something like, you know, two green-black is easy for that that deck to cast. So I think it'll be interesting to see how it kind of shakes out. But, I mean, there's going to be people that are going to be taking every single gate in pack one and then just picking everything from there on out and seeing how how it plays out. I'm going to be one of them. I'm going to try it. Like there's a lot of experimentation that happens at the beginning of a draft format to figure out what works. And I certainly intend to try to do that. I wonder if the mechanics will support that, like, or, or it will punish that. So for example, like surveil on its own is fine, but in Demir, there's a lot of surveil matters cards. So if you're not drafting a lot of Demir cards, then those surveil matters cards might not be kind of open to you if that makes sense so like you're going to pass those on to somebody else that's true but surveil should help you find the lands that you're looking for or dig to the bombs that you're playing all those colors for so i, I think it's going to help you on one end but also keep you out of that demir specific mechanic and leave that open to the person that's just playing blue black exactly so somebody else takes the payoff but you take the surveil cards and, and there's the enough same... at the table for everybody to get them Exactly. And then the, the same goes for undergrowth, right? Where like, you know, you might get one or two undergrowth cards, but you might lock yourself out of getting a lot of surveil or something like that, right? Because you're yeah. all over the map. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how those mechanics play out. Or if you're kind of just taking cards that don't care about mechanics, you're taking kind of, you know, the the 3-3 three, three flyer for five and that's it. Like it doesn't have anything else on it. Yeah, interesting I'm, I'm interested to see how they balance it, and I, I can't wait to start cracking these packs. Yeah, me too. So set preview next week then? You're doing, actually, you should probably talk about that real quick, shouldn't you? Yes, on stream on Thursday, uh, Ethan from Lords of Limited and Lord Tupperware fame uh, will be on my stream this time at twitch.tv slash simulant, and we're going to review every single card from Guilds of Ravnica. Uh, we'll start at the beginning, we'll run through, we'll talk about them, we'll grade them, we'll think about where they're good, where they're bad, how they're medium, everything. That will also be available on the video dem on demand there. So if you go to the channel and just click the videos button, you can go watch it if you happen to not be there while it's being streamed. If you can be though, be there while we're doing the live review. So if you have a question, you can ask it then. Or if you want to point something out that we've missed, uh, you can certainly do it there as well. Yeah, and then we're going to do our kind of one and a half hour crash course, for lack of a better term, to get you ready for your pre-release as well. So if you can't consume eight hours of content, 
you can come to us and uh, listen to about an hour, hour and a half of content in which we'll kind of hit on the key cards in commons and uncommons, the cards we're excited to play, and maybe the cards that we think are traps too, just like we usually do. So yeah. looking forward to that. That'll be next week. Get you get you ready for, for the pre-release. Now, do we know when this is coming out on Magic Online? We don't, do we? I don't. Uh, usually after they have the release, they'll do... Now, sometimes they've done those preview leagues, uh, but I, I don't think I've seen that information yet. I usually just wait for people to tell me in stream that I can go play it. I've gotten particularly lazy. Yeah. So last time we had it on the Friday before the pre-release, I think, or the Monday after the pre-release. I don't know. It changes. It was the Friday before last time. Was it the Friday before? Yeah. So maybe we'll get that. If not, then whatever. You'll be ready for your pre-release and come back on Monday and start drafting. So I'm looking forward to that. I cannot wait. Rivals of Ixalan has been, let's just say I haven't streamed any. So let's just, let's just leave it at that. You know, go back and try it, Dave. I, I was giving myself some grief, and last week you'd mentioned that you, you know, you tune in at lunch and you see I'm playing PUBG. You're like, Travis has had a rough day. But while I can't fall in love with Rivals as a set for reasons that I've mentioned 500 times, I don't need to go all in on that. I can fall in love with winning, and I've been doing really good at it. And there's a lot of people who this is a new and exciting format to them. And I mean, the first three weeks we were drafting rivals, I was pretty into it. And like, I, I, it's fine to go back and dip my toe into that. And I've actually had some fun with it. I had some cool decks. I got some blue red decks that were kind of neat. I managed to beat two Tetsum locks in a row, which is just not something you're able to do that often. Um, I, you know, was in a situation earlier today where my opponent was at one and there was nothing I could do until I top decked a flaming firebrand and killed them. It was like... That was really cool. So, like, there's there's still some sweet gameplay there. I would encourage people who haven't drafted Rivals to go try it out and people who are grumpy old farts like me to get over yourself and go play Draft because, honestly, whatever the format is, Draft is awesome. Now, I'm not going to be sad to see it rotate. And hopefully, you know, if they can't give us Guilds of Ravnica immediately, if you're listening, Wizards, it would be totally fine if you wanted to put Hour of Devastation in there for a week. <clears throat> I'd be down with that. But whatever it is, I'm going to draft it. Yeah, I'll probably go back and say goodbye to it, and then uh, we'll see what comes out. We we don't even know what comes out on the on Wednesday this week, do we? There's no They've schedule for that. They've been cryptically tweeting pictures that have nine nineteen hidden in them, so I'm guessing we're gonna know something this Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I don't know what yet, but I suspect we're gonna know something. Somebody knows something. Yeah, it's not us, but no, somebody does. it's certainly not us. I mean, we know things. But not that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, this is going to be a short episode this week. We're going to kind of close it off here. Actually, f- follow up to our topic from last week, which was signaling porpoises. Um, again, actually, thanks to... Actually, I should mention, thanks again to Wizards for the for the preview card, for giving us the preview card. But as well, thank you for featuring us on Daily MTG uh, for our episode last week on reading signals in draft. And at the Men From Moto Twitter account, which is at Men From Moto, if you're not following, uh, we actually got a question, two questions as a follow-up. So I'm going to hit you up with this. Okay. So at MTG Kaylee's asks, one question for the Men From Moto at the closing of this episode. How much does signaling translate to the bot draft on Arena? And how do you feel this impacts the draft when reading and sending signals? Again, in Arena terms. I, I still argue that on Arena, it's more important to read the signals than send the signals. But everything we told you, I have found to work. Now, 
it, it may be a scenario where you can't quite cut a color hard enough to get somebody out of it. But I, I've had a lot of people, and as a streamer, right, like they say you've either got to be really good at the game that you're playing or really entertaining to be successful. And I'm, I'm kind of just right up against both of those, I think, if we're honest. Like, I think I'm pretty good at it. And I think I'm just entertaining enough that people are excited to tune in. But one thing I can do is teach. So I've gotten in the habit of, while I'm doing these drafts against bots, explaining through what I'm doing as if I'm drafting about with people. And it, it started with the idea of, I'm going to explain why I would cut this in case I'm playing against humans, even though I'm not. And what I've found is that by cutting a color, I tend to kind of get paid off for it. So I, your experience may vary, but I found that drafting against the bots is actually like drafting against really good paper players because they're not going to hate pick you. So if you can figure out what's open, you'll see something like you'll get past a Tetsamlock. You'll get past a bomb if you can identify what the open color is. If you don't, you're still going to get a good deck because as we discussed on an episode a while back, they really don't print bad cards anymore. Um, so you're going to get something playable almost no matter what you do. But it, I think if you'll follow these guidelines for signaling, they're going to work regardless of where you're playing. The better the player, the group of people that you're drafting with are, the more it will reward you for doing this. And I really feel like the bots just like, they get in their lane and they stay there. So if you can figure out what they're passing you and let them know what you're not passing, you should get rewarded for that. Yeah. And, and this is purely anecdotal. Like I don't know this is for sure, um, but it feels really hard to push a bot off of something. Yeah. Meaning that like if, if, Meaning that, again, like you said, the cards that you're passing are way less important than the cards you're receiving, the signals you're receiving. So if if you're hoping to cut black off of your neighbor, the person you're pa the bot you're passing to after like pick three, pick four, and you've already passed one or two good black cards, that shit may have sailed already. And you just may, like, it just might be futile and you might get cut completely cut off in black in pack two. So what I found a strategy that seems to work for me is taking it to the extreme in pack one. Um, meaning picking a color and really trying to be monocolored coming out of pack one so that it doesn't matter what I passed at all. I'm just going to figure out what it's open in pack two as if it's pack one. Um, yeah. And if I can't do that, then, um, you know, I, I still try to lean heavily on one color, um, especially if I've passed like any pieces of removal in the first couple of picks or any decent cards in a single color in my first couple of picks. Um, and paying attention to the cards, like the colors of cards that are being passed to me, because if bots are staying in a lane and not taking cards that are outside of their lane at all, which they do and they don't, I think it depends on the quality of the card, but you will just not see cards of a color. Um, and the bots might take like a really mediocre red card instead of hedging into a third color or speculating on what's open potentially in pack two when it goes the other way. So I think you can take those to the extreme and probably get paid off for it um i have you can, noticed you you can't force it though right no. like how this works is you pick you know a good black removal spell a pretty good black creature and then now you're between do i take this you know pretty good red creature or this pretty good black creature you're like well i'm just going to stay black right and i think that's just good drafting in general because once you've gone five picks in black if they're reasonable cards kind of doesn't matter what your other color is you can figure that out later right what I wouldn't suggest doing is first picking an excellent red removal spell and then the next pack comes and there's an excellent black removal spell and a pretty good red creature. Just take the black card. 
Just take it. Don't don't be like, I'm going to stay red so that I can play this lightning strike. Just take the contract killing or whatever it is, you know, whatever set you're playing. Just take the other good card. But when it lines up and you can do what Dave's saying, it's fantastic. Just don't try to force it. Yeah, and I think the only the only time I've ever had an unplayable or like I've been short playables in a draft has been against the bots. Yeah. So, so take that for what it is, but like, and that was because I, I read the signals poorly. I've never had that in a paper draft and I've never had that on a magic online draft. I've always had enough playables. Um, but I had it in arena deck once that was like 21 playables, a navigator's compass and 18 lands. And it was not an 18 land deck. <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> so but yeah that's that's basically what it is draft as if they are the best drafters um and and try to read those signals and i think you'll get paid off so and the gameplay like if you have an above average deck um and you're a competent player you should be able to ride that deck to a good number of gems at the end of the day yeah agreed okay i think we're gonna wrap it up with a short episode this week how do you feel about that i'm comfortable with that now because we're gonna have the double-sized episode next week the, the dino-sized episode? No, that was a couple of sets ago, wasn't it? Yeah. That's too bad. I kind of miss dinosaurs. I kind of do, too. I didn't think I would, but it's kind of fun to play them again, man. Just Savage been... Stomp. Yeah, Savage Stomp is so good. And so Colossal good. Dreadmaw. He's every... Well, you can't miss him too much, because, I mean, for all we know that he's going to be in Guilds of Ravnica. Actually, have you seen the spoiler yet? No. Oh, okay, he's not in here yet. Oh, darn it. There's a chance. There's still a chance. Let me just check the collector's number. Let's see if it's been uh, Colossal Dreadmaw. No, there's still room in there for him. Okay, it can still happen. There's there's two cards that could fit in there, so we'll we'll see if he comes. I think he should be in every set, frankly. I I think it would be a hilarious meme. Like the year is like 2034, and we're return to return to Dominaria X cons, and colossal dreadmaw is there and then there's a time shifted colossal dreadmaw in the next pack in the next set <laughs> yeah that has like floating to fairy heads in the background or something like that even a like you could have a dreadmaw egg like there's so many so many different ways they could take this oh that'd be fun it's like a zero mana two and a green for a zero or for a, a zero three when it dies make a six six token with trample yeah that'd be great no or search, search your library search your library because you're gonna have him <laughs> Because you have to draft it. Yeah, yeah. All right, Wizards, if you want to hire us to, to write your next set, just uh, send it to... You know how to contact to us, yeah. Men from Moto at... All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks again to Wizards for the uh, that uh, exclusive preview card. It was a lot of fun to spoil. I hope we get to... Sorry, preview, not necessarily spoil. Uh, and I hope we get to do it again sometime soon. Uh, Travis, if they want to catch you on the internet this week, where can they see you? Twitch.tv slash Simulan. Again, we're doing a lot of Rivals Quick Draft, and Thursday we're doing the full Guilds of Ravnica set review uh, with Ethan, a.k.a. Lord Tupperware. So be there or be square. I love podcast cross-pollination. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, agree. And if uh, you want to catch me on Twitch and Twitter, I'm at DCivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. You can also catch us at Menformoto. Uh, come talk to us about this card. Let us know what you think. Hit me up with a tweet, and uh, one of us will respond. It's it's me that responds, but Travis looks sometimes at sometimes Twitter. Sometimes I mean, he doesn't usually tweet, so he's not really a social media guy. And it's if not wanna... the media that bothers me, honestly. It's the social part. It's the, yeah, I was gonna say it's the social. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, if you want to come uh, support us, uh, we love our listeners. We love the people that listen to the podcast, and that is more than enough support. But if you want to uh, throw us a little more support, you can catch us at our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash menformoto. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Adios.